SQL Down Under is a podcast for professionals working in the SQL Server community. SQL Server is a trademark of Microsoft Corporation. Opinions expressed during the podcast are individual opinions and may not reflect the opinions of SQL Down Under or of Microsoft Corporation. Introducing show number 33 with guest Alan White. Our guest today is Alan White. Alan is a database administrator for Advanstar Communications, a publisher of B2B trade magazines and promoter of trade shows. He's worked as a database administrator, an architect and developer for over 15 years, supporting both the Sybase and Microsoft SQL Server platforms over that period. He worked with Microsoft as a subject matter expert on the certification exams and courseware for SQL Server 2005, holds certifications, uh, MCTS for SQL Server 2005, MCITP for Database Developer, and MCITP for Database Administrator, and, and is also a Microsoft Certified Trainer. Alan was awarded Microsoft's Most Valuable Professional MVP Award for SQL Server in July 2007. His blog site is at sqlblog.com. Welcome, Alan. Thank you. First thing I'll get you to do, as you would know, uh, would be to uh, get you to describe how you came to be involved with SQL Server. Uh, before we came onto the show, I was talking to Alan and uh, I was starting to describe the format and he said, yes, I know the format really well. <laughs> well, yeah, I do. Uh, like I said, I'm a runner and uh, I use your uh, your shows as a companion when I'm out for a long run training for a half marathon. That's good. So how, how do you ever come to be involved with SQL Server? Well, one of my specialties back, going back to the uh, early 80s was uh, retail point of sale. And uh, a company that was putting together a point of sale audit product wanted me to get involved in it, and they were going to do this with a relational database. They looked at Oracle, but Oracle was way too expensive. They looked at Informix, which was the big player in the retail market at the time, uh, and Informix just didn't have the time to call them back. And at that time, Sybase was really, really hungry for uh, for business. So they got in bed with Sybase, and I started building the application using Sybase. Um, after a few years, uh, Microsoft SQL Server 6 came out, and that really felt like the database platform that businesses could rely on. And so they said, can you write, rewrite all the code to work with Microsoft SQL Server? Well, it was the same code base as Sybase, so it was a real piece of cake. Yeah. That's good. And listen, the I suppose that actually lends itself well into the sort of topics we're going to talk about today. Uh, one of the things I, fa- I used to find with SQL Server versions prior to 7, uh, I thought they tended to require way too much hands-on administration. Uh, what improved in and I think from seven onwards has been more and more reducing the amount of hands on work required. But by the same token, people are supporting more and more and more systems. And so the the topic we're looking at covering today is really about how we automate or or manage a whole lot of those things. Uh, and we're looking talking about both SMO and PowerShell. So maybe if we start with SMO for those that have not worked with SMO um, just a description of what we can do and how they get started. Sure. And, and the whole thing that came about is as I found myself having to do more, um, you know, deal with more service and stuff, I'm basically a lazy guy, and so I want to find the fastest, easiest way to get something done. Um, at one of the past conferences, the Professional Association for SQL Server, um, Kurt Drapers was talking about DMO data management objects, and this was a revelation for me, and I thought, wow, this is great. I can start scripting some of the things that I'm having to go in and do manually all the time. Um, And we should mention that's a forerunner of SMO and 
part of the other MO alphabet soup. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, and, and we were all working on the SQL 2000 at the time, and, and so DMO was, was the way to script things there. Um, then in late 2004, um, I started looking into uh, SMO as a new space. You know, they were, they were bringing out SQL 2005, and they were replacing DMO with SMO, and I thought, okay, well, nobody's playing in this playpen right now, and it looks like a fun place to be. I'm going to check it out and see what's going on. And kind of struggled for about a year, that last year before they brought out SQL 2005, just figuring out how all the objects worked. I got to know the um, the Visual Basic Object Browser really, really well. Because yes. not document, they weren't documented at the time in books online very well. Yeah. Um, in fact, for, pe- for people that have not used that, I suppose the, the thing to mention about the Object Browser is you can point it at a a library, and by reflection, it basically dives in and pulls out all the properties and methods and everything. So even if you don't have documentation on something, you can navigate your way around inside it to find out what it does. Exactly. So so then we get into SMO itself, which is just a, a library of objects that reflect all of the objects that are in SQL Server, starting at the server level. So, you know, it... it you know, you, you can you can connect to the server. You've now got a server object. Within the server object, you've got a collection, say, of databases, and it's called the databases collection. And you, within that collection, is is an object for each database. Um, in the server object, there's an information collection, if you will. Um, I use that a lot. For example, there's things like the the directory where your backup directory are. It, backup directory is, the default backup directory for your backups, um, your default data directory for your data files, your default log directory for your log files, those are all in the information object and the uh, collection in the server object. So browsing these pieces of information, you can discover where files are and where to put files when you need to write files. And I think it's important to mention as well that some of those things are available from server property functions uh, in T-SQL. Some of those things, though, are not available easily. And, in fact, uh, if you look at how SQL Server does it internally, often it does things like uh, registry read calls and so on uh, to retrieve that information for you. Exactly. The backup directory, you cannot go through Management Studio and set the backup directory. You have to go into the registry to set it. Yeah. So, But yet it's something you can readily, readily pull up within SMO. Yeah, the, I suppose the other thing uh, I think is worth mentioning there as well is that it's also it gives you a level of version independence as well. Yes, in fact, you can with SMO you can um, support servers that are running SQL 2000, SQL 2005, and SQL 2008. Now the yeah. the features that each of those have, of course, are different. There are times when you have to check to make sure what version of the the server you're on um, to do a particular function. For example, if I'm connecting to a SQL 2000 server and I want to change my my data types for Varkar 1000s and greater to Varkar maxes, well, that's not going to work on a SQL 2000 box. It'll work fine yeah. on SQL 2005 and SQL 2008. Yeah. Yeah, so that's the point is that even though the functions are there or the methods are there in SMO, of course, they still only apply to to the versions that support those underlying functions. Yeah, I suppose the same question often comes up where people use, say, the SQL Server 2005 Management Studio to connect to and manage a SQL Server 2000 box. That's right. I mean, you're still limited by what a SQL Server 2000 box can do. Right, right. And, in fact, um, there's there is... From what I remember correctly, most of SQL Server Management Studio is written using SMO. So yeah. my goal there was to use the same tool that Microsoft is using to talk to the database. Yeah, one of the things they talked about with Management Studio uh, that was almost uh, listed as a, a feature of it was the fact that it used the standard interfaces uh, itself to talk to the database. And so the argument was that anything it did, you could do easily anyway. Um 
And so, yeah, I, I think that's been a, a key thing. And it's it's a very rich set of libraries. The other thing I noticed with SMO um, is that it's a very clean structure. You mentioned uh, servers having databases, databases having, I think, columns and so on and so on. Um, that's well, tables completely first and then columns. But yeah. Tables, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> And, of course, yeah, um, but that's completely in contrast to other object models that Microsoft have produced, like uh, the Office ones, like uh, Word, for example. I, I, I don't know how anybody could code that without a manual. I have not looked at those, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're amazingly complicated. Uh, I, I can't work out, without a, an Office programming book, there's just no way you could work out I think appropriately what to do, or certainly uh, Google <laughs> endlessly. <laughs> but the, but I think that's the thing I was getting at is with SMO to me, it looked, it, I always say to people in the class, if you had to sit and imagine what an object model would look like, it's pretty much exactly what, what you'd guess. That's a, absolutely true. There's, there's some oddities when it comes to getting into like the, t, finding the TCP port that your server is using. That can get a little weird, but for the most part, it's it's just a top-down structure that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Now, with the version independence thing, I suppose the other alternative, people say, well, can't I just do this stuff in T-SQL anyway? Yes. Uh, and actually, there's the, one of the one of the SQL Server MVPs, uh, Lin Shi Shea, is is always uh, responding to my PowerShell posts um, in my blog. Saying, well, I can do this in Visual, again, I can do this in, in uh, Visual Studio, or I can do this in T-SQL. Why don't we just do it there? And it's, well, because different people have different needs. One of the things, you know, I've been doing presentations for the last couple of years on SMO at PASS, and um, I'll be doing a, a, the, uh, my presentation at uh, SQL Connections in April down in Orlando, and um, I always get resistance from the crowd when I'm talking about Visual Basic, which is what I do usually do my SMO example yep. in, uh, because a lot of administrators are not allowed to have the Visual Studio environment on their desktop. Sure. So uh, when I start talking about PowerShell, they get all interested because they are allowed to play in shell, shell scripting environments. Yeah. So, Indeed. And it's just two different ways of getting to the same pieces of information. Yeah. Look, I suppose one of the things that we need to define, um, I suppose, in terms of what SMO actually is. So, uh, how, what, I suppose, what is it specifically? It's an object library that allows a developer, a scripter, whatever, a person to write code to manage SQL Server. It's a management yeah. tool. And that's and where I, I think get the a thing I was coming to. Go ahead. As well, it's that it's a .NET managed library. Uh, yes, I apologize. Uh, You're right. Absolutely. Yep. And and actually, here's here's where another piece of resistance has been is that uh, with DMO, of course, v, uh, VB Script was was and and DMO kind of went to, together. Um, yeah. And you could do a lot. You could use all of DMO using VB Script, and SMO came along. And you could kind of do it, but you couldn't specify a server. So you could do everything in SMO using VB Script as long as you were connecting to your local default instance. Any yep. other server, and it all fell apart. But the .NET framework, of course, SMO fully supports. So you've got all of the objects that are available to you in the .NET framework. All the, all the yeah. functionality, and you're probably a much better. Uh, you might probably understand that a lot better than I do. My development uh. days are a long ways behind me now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I suppose, and so one of the issues that comes up then, uh, I know, was a big issue with DMO was deployment, and where the the thing I see with SMO is there seems to be a, a much sweeter story there. Well, it's because when you install SQL Server, it installs the .NET Framework 2.0, and that's yeah. what SMO requires. And so it's everything's happy, everything works together because the pieces that SMO requires are already there by virtue of having installed SQL Server. Yeah, but if I build a program that talks SMO, 
in talks to SMO to do its database, um, like DDL work and things like that, mm-hmm. uh, what do I need to deploy with the program? Is it just the assemblies, or is there a separate installer for those? Do you know? Or? I honestly, <laughs> to be honest with you, yeah. I, you know, the, the code that I write, I run myself. Um, I don't, when I deploy the, an executable, um, I'm putting an executable, co- uh, the, the executable module on each of my servers where I've already got SQL Server installed, and yeah. the installation of SQL Server puts all of the necessary libraries there. Yeah, so I have a feeling when you code to somebody else, I, I don't have any experience in that. I'm, I'm, a, I'm an internal yeah. DBA, if you will, at this point. Yeah, indeed. But <laughs> my, my guess on that is that when you put the SQL native access client in place, it puts a good layer of what you need. Um, the only question going through my mind is that you may or may not have to include the SMO assemblies um, in your project uh, when you deploy it, but either way, um, it's still a, it's a, it's it's a very very simple thing to do mm-hmm. by comparison with what we had to do with DMO. Because if you had a DMO based application uh, deploying, that was was really quite messy uh, by comparison. Yeah, I just caught on to the the tail end of DMO. Like I said, I I discovered it. I think it was 2003 at the past conference. Um, yeah, and, and I thought, wow, is this cool? Why didn't I know about this before? Yeah, indeed. Actually, um, another thing that we should mention while we're in definitions and so on uh, is the rest of the alphabet soup, like RMO, NMO, AMO, things like that. Right. There's there's the the notification management objects, which I think are going away. Um, there's the uh, replication. Uh, and again, because the, the position I'm in, I've I've not done any replication, so I haven't u- used RMO. AMO for analysis services. Um, yeah. So pretty much whenever somebody sees something MO yes. <laughs> as a library, it, it's one of the pieces uh, of, I suppose, what used to be DMO, but it didn't used to cover anywhere near as many things. Right. Well, um, the server keeps growing like yeah. leaps and bounds, so so they keep adding adding these uh, these these management yeah. objects to allow you to do the things you need to do. Yep. Kind of automatically. And yeah, as you say, uh, NMO, the notification services management objects, I mean, they, they'll disappear with notification services, no doubt. Right. But the, uh, RMO, yeah, I must admit, I have done some coding with RMO. I did it, uh, just when the product first came out. And in fact, I was trying to do some heterogeneous publishing work with it. And, uh, it was really interesting to have a look at all the objects. They've clearly set it all up for all sorts of different publishers, um, even though in 2005 they only supported Oracle publishing. Okay. Uh, but uh, I was trying to backdoor a way of doing DB2 publishing at the ah. time. Uh, <laughs> but it was kind of interesting where almost everything was there that I needed to, to try and set it up, but it just wouldn't quite work. And uh, and I ended up getting one of the product uh, group guys, and he said, oh, yeah, no, that doesn't that bit doesn't quite work yet, <laughs> the bit I was trying to do. <laughs> but but I got the feeling, certainly, it's it's also um, the, the model that they've picked and how they've done it act- actually allows for all sorts of things that, uh, that they haven't even implemented yet. Well, just today I was talking with uh, our... Uh our data warehouse guys, and they were really interested in the fact that in 2008, they, it looks like um, SSIS is going to support um, S-Base because we've got a huge S-Base uh, installation in our shop. And getting oh, okay. the data from S-Base into SQL Server has been kind of painful for them. Yeah. What? Uh, how did they try and do that before? Was there an OLEDB provider that we used? I, I believe it was, yes. Yeah, indeed. I think one it's always a big challenge, though, that uh, it, it's not just the connecting up the providers. The uh, the thing I find most challenging is usually the different differences in data types and things like that. The uh, um, One of the things I love about the new uh, enhanced date-time data type, uh, date-time 2, in SQL Server 2008 <laughs> is the uh, is the range apart from the name which I hate. Right. You're <laughs> but, not alone there. <laughs> no, but I really like the expanded range of years because I've had things like uh, data coming from Oracle where 
it, it's had the year 200, and even though it was an error, it was meant to be 2000. That causes you all sorts of pain and grief when you, you try and bring the dates in. And uh, I think as soon as you start going across different systems and different data types on different systems, you, you're always in for, in for a world of entertainment uh, oh, yeah. somewhere else. Yeah, ETL, ETL is a is kind of a world of its own. Yeah, I, I kind of played in that space for a little while pre-relational databases, and and kind of enjoyed it. Um, uh, it's just amazing seeing the the tools that are available now. Uh, yeah, a little bit I've played with SSIS. It's like wow. Yeah, it's excellent stuff. And we had a, a show a little while ago with Matthew Roach on that. Yes, that, I, uh, I, yeah, yes, I did a ten mile run listening to that show. <laughs> so listen, tell me the sort of things that you typically use SMO for at present. Well, usually it's the uh, the maintenance uh, plans, the you know the my normal backups. Um, I actually have a job, and I wrote some articles on the Simple Talk website last year, uh, a mm-hmm. series of articles on my maintenance plans because I really didn't like the SQL 2005 maintenance plans when they came out, and I said, yep. you know what. I can I can do this simpler, and so I wrote some code that evaluates the databases on the server and builds jobs to back those databases up every night. And because um, I'm in a kind of a volatile shop, and sometimes databases appear out of nowhere in the middle of the day, that night the job gets recreated with that database being part of the backup schedule. Um, it also I also build steps in there to notify me by DB mail in the case of SQL 2005 um, yeah. if, the, if the job failed. Um, it also builds um, jobs to do transaction log backups every whatever uh, period of time you know I specify uh, whatever interval of time. Yeah. Um, most of my servers I do transaction log backups once an hour. Uh, a couple of them are a little bit more volatile, and I back up transaction logs every 15 minutes. So I've got a parameter for when I run this program to generate the interval for the schedule for the job to base yeah. to base on the interval that I want. So, um, look, I could imagine some people sitting listening and, and thinking, "Well, can't I just do that in SSIS? I mean, build a whole program and a workflow to do the same thing." Yes, you can. And but what I what I had difficulty, and maybe it was just because I was impatient or um, didn't take the time to learn the SSIS. But what I had difficulty with in doing was getting those maintenance plans. I you know I had like 25 servers, and I didn't yeah. want to go and build the package for each indiv- individual server. And I didn't see a quick and easy way to move the package from one server to another. Now, I know that there probably is, but I didn't yeah. see it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so I wrote this code, and I just plugged these programs on every new server, yep. run them once, and the jobs are all created. Yeah. Yeah, actually, configuration files are one of the solutions in SSIS for doing that sort of thing. But to me, I think one of the other the beauties of it is that it, SMO allows you to write something that... That, that works across versions. That's the other thing I was sort of getting at is that yeah, on a server I can write a, It's much, much easier to write a statement that says for each database, basically, yes. um, do this, rather than thinking, okay, now well, in SQL Server 2000, how do I get a list of databases? And in 2005, well, if it's one of those servers, how do I get a list of databases? And and then building a cursor to iterate around the list of databases <laughs> as a do it. So it, it's it's actually much much more complicated mm-hmm. than something that simply allows you to say for each database on the server, do this. Yeah, exactly. And, and if you if you go to the Simple Talk website, you, you know you can actually look through my code and and see how I built that. It's that's all Visual Basic code. But it was it was pretty straightforward. In fact, a, a buddy of mine left Advanced R and went to work on. Uh, there's a big project at the Stanford Medical Center, and somehow he fell into being the DBA role. And so he he sends me a message saying, "Hey, how do I get regular backups going?" And I so I I just pointed him links to the articles, and he's like, "That's exactly what I needed." And 
Fired him <laughs> up, and <laughs> now my code's running at Stanford. <laughs> yeah, excellent, excellent. The um, one of the the questions uh, I suppose I have there is that you mentioned in passing you didn't overly like the standard maintenance plans. Have you got any feedback as to what sort of things you didn't really like? Do you recall? Uh, it just seemed really tedious to me to set them up. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't really pursue it much further. Um, you know, when I when I just setting up those, and this was um, SQL 2005. RTM. It was the the yes, not piece. SP2. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that was really really ugly. They fixed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, was it SP1? They fixed it. I I, well, I stopped paying yeah. attention when I when I decided not to use them. So uh, yeah, at, at at the service packs, there have been issues with maintenance plans. That's mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I and like I said, I, I really that's been off my radar because I don't even use them. Um, yeah. All my all my servers, regardless of what version of SQL Server they're running, use these use these programs that I wrote using SML. Yeah. Nah, that's good. And so, apart um, anything else, I mean, do you actually use it for uh, ever for things like uh, creation of users or anything like that? I don't use it for creation of users because mm-hmm. the um, we don't really have a lot of that. Um, the the biggest place in our shop that use that where we we're adding and removing users is in our our CRM application and that's handled within the application itself it's not at at the SQL server level so i don't have a, yeah. a, a huge problem with with user management um, one of the things that um, that i like to do though um, is build a database properly if you will um, yep. By by that I mean, you know, when you when you say just create database from a management studio dialog, it's going to create yeah. an MDB, which is with your primary file group, with all of your system tables. Two meg, right? <laughs> yeah. And and then a log file. Well, I've learned that that isn't always the best structure. <laughs> Indeed. So I have a script, and then actually it's a PowerShell script, but it's using SMO, um, that I can run when I need to create a new database that creates, I just create a 5 meg primary partition, partition and I yes. call it the sysdata uh, file group, and yep. then whatever size I pass in the parameter to this thing for what I'll call the app data partition, it creates an NDB um, and that's where that will then become the default um, file group for any objects that get added to that database. So that my Actually, primary it's a is funny, always funny a funny story little. as well. Uh, when they were talking about MDB and uh, of course the uh, the LDF, uh, one of the questions or MDF and LDF, LDF, one of the questions I always have come up in classes. People say, "What's NDF stand for?" <laughs> and uh, I, I was reliably told by one of the internals that it was another data file. <laughs> that would not it surprise me at all. <laughs> I think I've heard that same thing. Hmm. But yeah, just as a, so it and, and it's actually easier in using SML to do this than it is to go through the dialogues through Management Studio um, yeah. to do it. The other thing is, you know, you could create a T-SQL script to do this fairly easily. But yes. what I've done is I've gone into the the server object and pulled out of the information collection the master database path and the master log path. Yes. So... I don't have to. And that, that's where the real power starts. For to, each server. That's right. The power starts to come in where you don't then have to modify your T-SQL script to have it dynamically adjust itself, or you don't have to write some amazingly convoluted um, uh, dynamic SQL statements where you're generating the DDL before you execute it type right. thing. Uh, in fact, yeah, you can you can do it much much cleaner. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's until people get used to the whole idea of scripting. Um, it's surprising how resistant people often are to it. I, I found the same thing uh, when we used to do scripting with Windows Server um, manage, uh, administrators and so on. Mm-hmm. I have seen people who will sit there in the GUI tools and migrate everybody in one group across to another group or things like that, and they will do like a 1,000 users, mm-hmm. and they will just sit there in the GUI doing them one after the other. 
and if you show them, you could just write a script to do that in, in a few minutes. Um, I don't know. <laughs> it's, uh, but there's some people who will just sit there and think, well, I don't need to learn any of that stuff because I can just sit there doing it manually in the tools. But dear, oh dear, oh dear, it's a, yeah. it can be a significant difference. I just don't have the time in the day to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, yeah, I think learning to use the scripting tools, it, no doubt there is a little bit of effort involved. Mm-hmm. But the payback is enormous, I think, yeah. is the uh, the key message. It's a, uh, I have a friend, uh, Peter Dean, I used to work with uh, years ago, and uh, I always remember Peter telling the story. He said it's, it's, a, it's a bit like a guy standing there having a battle with a, a sword, and there's a tank salesman at the door, uh, but he doesn't have time to talk to him because <laughs> <laughs> he's too busy fighting the war with his sword. Yeah, um, And, and it's, I think it can be exactly that. So, yeah, look, I think scripting is a, a super important thing to uh, get your head around and to be able to then become a very, very much more efficient uh, administrator on any system. Right. But, look, that's probably a good point to take a short break. And when we come back, what we then need to talk about is the PowerShell environment because I'm sure that will be new to most people. Okay. As well as community resources such as this podcast, SQL Down Under offer mentoring services and both private and public training options. If you need to get your project back on track or if you need to get it off to a good start, why not give us a call? We have also recently introduced a series of online courses available in both Asia-Pacific and US-UK time zones. In particular, the first course that's offered in this series is Query Performance Tuning. You'll find details at www.sqldownunder.com. Welcome back from the break. Uh, as I get everyone to do, uh, is is there a life outside SQL Server? Yes, there is, actually. Um, I have a wife. We've been married for a um, little over 27 years now. Um, wow. Yeah, I know. She puts up <laughs> with great. me for, for all this. Um, and I have a daughter who will be 24 in May. She just got married last month. Her husband is in the Army. He's stationed over Germany, over in Germany right now, and um, she'll be leaving within the next few weeks to join him over there. Oh, wow. Big so, trip. Yeah. Um, let's see. I'm finish, finishing up my bachelor's degree um, in, in college. I uh, never, never got quite got there. So as I as I told the people in one class last semester, I'm here on the 36 year plan. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Listen, I'm really impressed with that. Tell tell me why you decided to go back and do it because in in I I hear so many people in the industry would say they can't see any relevance to doing degrees or not, and I'm just interested in your perspective. In 2002, I lost a job that I had. Um, it was a dot-com that wasn't doing very well, and mm-hmm. um, it took 10 months for me to get a new job, and there were a number of companies that expressed interest, um, but because I did not have a bachelor's degree, they couldn't talk to me. Their own yeah. rules. Um, well, I, I, I got the job with Advanced Star, and I'll, I'll have been with Advanced Star five years this May, um, and it's been a great place to 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 work. My boss has been absolutely marvelous. Um, the, uh, a couple of years ago, we split into two companies. Um, a number of our properties, we, we decided that we were too diverse, if you will, in, in, our, yeah. in our focus. And so we split into two companies. And the, the company that split away, when they started up, they did not have a SQL Server DBA. And I looked at that and I said, you know what? If we split again, why would anybody, you know, why would they need, why would they need me? I could be yeah. out of a job through no fault of my own. So I need to, I need to patch this hole. And Good. so, so I've been going. It's, it'll be three years, um, but I'll, I'll, I'll be graduating on May 11th. So <laughs> I'm really excited about this. Listen, have you enjoyed doing it? I have. Um, it's so it's not just like a chore. It, it's no, it's not like a chore. It's been really, it's been really fascinating, um, sitting in class with some people 
um, who have been out in the workforce for a while, but a lot of kids who are just out of high school yeah. and and seeing that um, the the difference the difference in how how I look at things versus how they look at things and you know of course mm-hmm. I see you know they're all my daughter's age so um, that's kind of interesting. <laughs> Yeah, one of the the things I used to find when uh, when I was at the uni, the the evening classes tended to be very very different to the daytime classes, and, and exactly that is that the daytime classes were mostly full of people uh, just starting a career, and often the evening classes had a, a high percentage of people that were going back to do study. Mm-hmm. And uh, I found the dynamics of the two completely different. Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. The people in the evening had a complete understanding of why they were there, and they were quite task oriented. Uh, where I found, I, I must admit, I, I never really enjoyed doing first year classes. I, I think they give that to new lecturers when you first get there to sort of sort you out. <laughs> Probably uh, true. Particularly, yeah, I remember one of the classes, which is like 400 first year engineers, and oh dear, oh dear, that's, a, <laughs> that's an absolute sink or swim thing. But right, the, right. It, it certainly helped you learn to control a room, put it that way. Yes, <laughs> put it yes. that way. Yes, um, presenting but, at a conference is nothing compared to that. Yeah, that's right. Uh, the thing I found with it, though, is, is that it was almost, uh, a lot of them find it hard to make the migration from uh, a school to, to a university, and they almost have an attitude when they, say, hand in an assignment or something, it's, it's like they think they're some, somehow doing you a favor or something, mm-hmm. <laughs> handing an assignment. And, and it's really hard for them to come to grips with the concept that if you're there working at the uni and uh, whether they pass, whether they fail, in the end, I'll, I'll still be there. You won't. <laughs> yeah. you know, so, so uh, um, you know, I'll help you by all means. But in the end, it, whether you do your assignment or not, that's <laughs> sorry, right. that's your issue. You're not actually doing me a favor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The other thing is running running is probably my biggest hobby. Is uh, I'm actually working on a a goal of running a marathon in all 50 states. I've got 22 done so far. Wow! So it's 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 kind of fun because it gets me to places I never would have gotten. Um, Yeah. You know, last year I ran one in a little town called Olathe, Kansas, just a little bit west of of Kansas City. the night before the race, I'm sitting in the hotel room and it's thunderstorming and I'm looking at the weather reports and they're saying, there's a chance of tornado. And it's like, oh, yes, I am in Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, yes. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Toto, yes, indeed. But, well, listen, but I got through the marathon. We, we you know, got that, got that pin on the map, so that was done. We need to talk about PowerShell, though. Yes, we do. So... Uh, for those, uh, I presume many of the, particularly the DBAs listening, some will, some won't have seen. So maybe a basic explanation of what is PowerShell. Okay, just a little bit of background. I did spend some time, um, you know, working with Sybase on Unix platforms, and Unix shells are very, very powerful. And uh, a Unix administrator knows how to use it, use the shell language and write shell scripts to their advantage. Uh, one of the things yeah. we did uh, was we had shell scripts that would go through the Sybase uh, log files looking for errors and report to us via email if there were any errors in the log files. We didn't have to go looking through the log files. The, the shell script would do that for us. For us. Yeah. PowerShell is probably the closest equivalent on the Windows platform that Microsoft has come out with to yeah. to match the power that is, exists in the Unix shell scripting environment. Um, the, there's there's a, a key difference, though, and one that I really, really like. In a Unix shell script, um, you can pipe the output of one command into another command and put together a string of piped commands that allows you to do the things like I just mentioned as far as yeah. uh, searching through your log files and give you back meaningful results. Okay, yeah. um, Unix shell scripts do that with text. They're sending text from one uh, yeah. program to another. PowerShell has that same piping capability from one object to another, but PowerShell returns 
objects. Yeah, so, I, I think that's the, the key differentiator. Where, when I look at Unix-type shells, uh, as you mentioned, the, the typical approach is that they write a handful of little tools, each of which do very little. So, And they read from standard input right to standard output, and you can then hook them all up together to achieve something. But what they're passing around is, is a list or text or basically text. Mm-hmm. The big difference with PowerShell is that we're saying, I can pass you a list of customers or a list of databases, and the thing that I get at the other end is a database. Right. Right. So, And I, and I love the idea of not having to use a, a, a crazy tool like awk to parse through a, a, a glob of text to get the information I want. I, I know I have the object, and I can just ask for the column that I want. Yeah, I, I think to me you, you're exactly right. Yeah, the the power to literally pipe objects between things is the key mm-hmm. key benefit I see with PowerShell. Now, now Microsoft is is has made this part of what they call their common engineering criteria for the future. So, for example, um, Exchange 2007, wonderful tool, very, very powerful. There are things that you need to do as an administrator that you cannot use the Exchange 2007 GUI tool to do. You have to use PowerShell to manage these pieces of Exchange. They're only available through through the PowerShell interface. There's a great interview with Kirk Munro. I don't know if you heard it on .NET Rocks over no, no. Uh, the last few weeks, uh, where he's talking about PowerShell. And in fact, he was mentioning exactly that with uh, with Exchange. He was talking about the size of the library they've provided for Exchange, but also describing the number of things that you can do with the shell scripting that there is no GUI equivalent to at all. Right. And in many cases, it's because creating a GUI equivalent would just be too clumsy. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, just looking at the, the, the dialogues on on the new SQL Server 2008 dialogues, and some some of these dialogues, the, there's so much information on them, you know, you're having a hard time fitting, fitting it on the screen. Well, if yep. you put it in a, uh, you know, it, you, if you go at it through SMO uh, and, and PowerShell, you don't have to worry about that. There's no screen limitation, if you will. And you only worry about the properties of the object that you're worried about. Correct. So, Whereas on a GUI thing, you're, you're endlessly either hiding or exposing an enormous number of properties and making the screen look confusing in case somebody wants to set that one option or <laughs> yeah. whatever the thing is. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I think that's a significant difference. Um, and uh, there was an interesting comment in that same show where they were saying uh, they're interested in the development of UI technology and, and the, the next big thing in UIs was actually the command prompt. <laughs> Isn't that funny? <laughs> what was it? The old, uh, the the old back in. I, I first learned to program basic language back in 1968, and we had a teletype mm. machine. And when when we were finished with the program, it would just respond, "Ready for work." Yeah. You know? <laughs> so. Uh, and mind you, it's a bit friendlier than the old. Uh, some of the old mainframe systems. I remember X8, the operating system, actually, ironically, it was Fujitsu had, and uh, <laughs> I always use it as an example of things that were unfriendly. Remember, it used to have come up with something like XCN 10067J, uh, no interpret table. You think, right. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> or XCN 10067P, you know, application unknown to VTAM. Okay, excellent. Yeah, that's good. Right. So, yeah, things have come a long way from that. But right, right. The, I think the it is interesting. Um, now, there are different providers, and people think, well, okay, apart from just straight scripting, uh, I was at a, a session the other night where Rob Farley uh, in Melbourne was showing some of the uh, SQL Server 2008 provider stuff for PowerShell, and it looked pretty smooth. So, for example, I could, I could literally wander through the structure of SQL Server like it was a disk drive. Exactly. I was, I was going to get to that. The, the first thing I was going to talk about, though, were the PowerShell commandlets because mm-hmm. this is how PowerShell works. It uses these command line utilities called commandlets, C-M-D-L-E-T-S, commandlets, um, that have a verb-noun naming convention. Like if you wanted to see a, a list of the processes on your server, you would say get process. 
If you mm-hmm. wanted to stop a service, you would say stop service. Um, there is a commandment called get PS drive for get PowerShell drive. And if you type that command in, it will give you a list of the drives that are available, and you'll see things like CD, you know, whatever drive, you know, physical hard drives you have on your system. But you'll also see something called HKCU for H key current Registry. user, HKLM for H key local machine. You can mm-hmm. you can navigate into um, into the registry as though it were a drive. And when yeah. you install SQL Server 2008, it when you go in through the PowerShell interface that you can launch through um, through the new management studio, it ac- actually creates three of those for you: um, one for policies, one for um, SQL Server itself, and I forget what the third one is. I don't have 2008 run up and running right now, so I I, I can't yep. tell you off the top of my head. But um, but yeah, you get three of those those PowerShell drives that you can just navigate like like any other file structure. One note: it is case sensitive. I, d- I discovered that early on. So I, yeah. I filed a bug on Connect for that. I hope they fix that so you don't have to worry about the case of the objects. But it's a case where if you understand the SMO object structure, you're much farther ahead in being able to navigate that drive because it follows the SMO structure. Yeah, so what they've done is expose the SMO, X, SMO structure as a drive, effectively. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's it's great. really, really kind of neat. I, I'm... I'm trying to figure out a really good application for it so I can blog about it. Um, I haven't found it yet. Um, let me know if you hmm? find it. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, what I've mostly seen is I've seen people showing it, and, and they go, isn't this neat? And everybody's eyes light right up. Right. <laughs> and they just know it's neat, but they're just not yet sure why. Exactly. And, and I'm, and I'm going to get there. Uh, I'm... I'm Bound to determine by the time this uh, SQL Server 2008 goes RTM that that I will have a, a good use for that. But um, in the meantime, I'm going to keep playing with it. Yeah. One of the things that you said is that uh, PowerShell is something also that DBAs are likely to be able to have available on the system where Visual Studio isn't. Yes, um, that it's it's one of those things when I'm doing presentations and I do uh, examples in Visual Basic. You know, a lot of the DBAs go, "Well, I'm not allowed to have that on my on my workstation." You know, I'm a I'm a I'm an administrator. I'm not a developer. Okay, well, yep. PowerShell is an is an administrative tool, and I think every IT management structure would understand that PowerShell is an administrative tool, and so there's no there won't be any resistance to getting PowerShell on your workstation to be able to do your work. Um, I'm actually installing it on, on my um, on my SQL servers now because I'm doing more and more with PowerShell scripts on my production servers just because it's so convenient. I write this script and then I run it from from an agent job. Yeah. So if you go to execute a shell, um, one of these PowerShell scripts from an agent job, mm-hmm. um, what are you doing to do that? Are you just you actually executing run, you use a command line um, uh, job type, uh, job step type. Um, so you actually go into the, the the command line, the Windows command line, and say PowerShell, and then an ampersand, and then the name of your script, mm-hmm. and then PowerShell fires up and executes your script, and then goes away. Now. The other sort of things I'm imagining people would be wondering about, have you got any feeling for uh, how resource-intensive it is or how much memory this chews up or any have, of those sorts of things? I have in not terms looked of ad- at that. It has not. The only time I've run into a memory situation was um, there. Are the, I'm using PowerShell for more than just administrative uh, functionality. Um, one of my users... Needed. We've got a, a, a large list, um, a database that has um, email addresses for our subscribers. Yeah. Um, you know, because we're a publishing company, and the subscribers are separated into different lists based on which uh, magazine they subscribe to. And he needed a list of 
every subscriber and their email address, but he needed it in a separate file for each publication. Yeah. And that was fairly easy to do from PowerShell, you know, just exporting these things to a text file. And every time the, the publication na- name changed, start a new file with, with that publication name in it. Okay. When I first did it, when I first wrote the code, um, I used uh, an ADO object called a data table and loaded mm-hmm. the result set to the data table and then parsed through the data table and ran it that way. Well, of course, the data table holds your entire result set in memory, and yeah. when you've got millions fact, that, and millions that, of rows, that becomes a problem. Yeah. That, in fact, that's exactly what I was coming to, is that the, the fact that you are passing around <laughs> objects, uh, the thing that you have to keep in mind is they are objects. Mm-hmm. And so, right, if you get something like a data table, which is just an in-memory representation of a whole bunch of objects... That's right. I mean, you still have the same problems. If you push millions and millions of objects into that, they are going to take a lot of space. Right. By changing the code so that I use an execute reader, so it's a forward-only operation, there's no memory space really chewed up by yeah. it. So it's, it was fairly fairly clean then. Yeah. Do you know when you pipe between things in PowerShell, uh, do the commands that are involved in the piping execute concurrently? And like, or does one have to wait for the previous one to finish? Do you know? To be honest with you, I have not looked at the execution of it under the underneath the hood. It, it kind of yeah, works. One of the things that happened with 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 say uh, Unix scripting, there was always a big difference between commands that you could start at the beginning of a pipe and they would start sending information as they had it available mm. and then the next thing in the pipe could already be consuming it because they, they ran at the same time. Yeah, However, if, for example, you had a command that did a sort, of course it had to have the whole lot sure. before it could sort and then pass it on. So you, you did have a difference between the different uh, types of things that you might have in the in the path as to whether or not they caused a big memory consumption or not. Yeah. Other than this particular example, I haven't really done any uh, serious memory-intensive or or size-intensive type work. Most of the stuff that Mm. I'm doing is, like I said, administrative type things. So, for example, um, uh, I'm going to connect to, uh, I've got a managed, uh, there's a, there's under SMO, there's a WMI managed computer object. Okay, so I, I connect to that and then I iterate through um, the server instances, finding out the IP address and the port number of those. Well, there's not a lot of those on a particular server, so it yeah. goes pretty quickly. So I suppose that's the key tip, is that you really have to be very careful, no doubt, still. If, if you are dealing with things that are large, large numbers of objects, it mm-hmm. I would imagine you you can have issues with uh, the amount of memory that you're dealing with, and that's pretty pretty much true with everything. I mean, yeah, you know, how yeah. many development projects have you seen where uh, everything works fine when they're working with a, a, a set of twenty rows, but when you throw a uh, hundred million rows at it, it completely falls apart. Yeah. No, indeed. The um, sessions you're doing at TechEd this year, um, so some of this was PowerShell-related? Actually, two of the sessions are specifically PowerShell. One is just PowerShell and SQL Server. Um, some of the examples I just talked about, um, I'll be going through the code and, and how you do that kind of thing. The other one is administrative uh, tools, uh, doing administrative tasks with PowerShell, um, things uh, like doing backups and restores, um, setting up DB mail, um, let's see, uh, creating an agent job. You know, I've got uh, yeah. PowerShell scripts to, to create agent jobs, uh, configure servers, um, uh, using uh, WMI. WMI is interesting. Um, PowerShell has a really great WMI provider built into it. So you can and being the acronym police, I should get you to oh, uh, yes. spell out that. <laughs> the the wind, uh, what is it? Windows Management Interface. And it, yeah, or instrumentation. In, instru- yeah. Instrumentation. Yeah. So um, just about every piece of information you want to know about your server, you can get through WMI. 
Yeah. Um, and it's extremely powerful. SMO has a subset of that where you can use the uh, SMO WMI managed computer object and only look at the WMI objects that are specific to SQL Server. So you can look at the processes that are SQL Server processes, analysis services and reporting services, and, and of course, yep. the SQL Server service. Um, those will be the only ones that come back if you're doing it through SMO, whereas if you do a get WMI process from PowerShell directly, you'll see everything. Yeah, I remember there used to be a tool I was running uh, that would show me all the contents of the WMI providers. I think it was called Scriptomatic or something like that. But, okay. Uh, it was kind of a, it was just a freeware thing called Scriptomatic, and uh, it allowed you to open up the machine and then drill through and have a look at all of the WMI oh, providers nice. and values in there. It re- really was quite an eye opener to see how much was exposed via WMI. Yeah, I actually used the WMI code to pull back amount of disk space I have available on all my drives, and so I store that in in a database table so I can track data, you know, just disk usage over time. You know, if, if a particular database is going crazy, um, yeah. you know, I can I can say, okay, here it's chewing up eight million rows every month okay so I'm, I keep adding eight million rows every month at some point I'm going to run out of that disk space and I can kind of predict that based on that tracked growth yeah no that's good and so a couple of sessions at TechEd so yes I'm getting... sorry so the, yeah the, just the, the two the SQL Server and SMO and PowerShell is one uh, the other one is and these are both chalk talks um the administrative tasks with PowerShell. And then I've got a breakout session that Peter Ward and I are going to co-host, um, just management tasks uh, man- using using SMO um, to manage SQL Server. We're going to cover both SQL 2005 and SQL 2008. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, in fact, I've had... Uh uh, Peter do a number of sessions for us at uh, our local code camp and things, and uh-huh. uh, one of the one of our local MVPs. Yeah, Peter's based in Brisbane, so okay. yeah, it's where I used to be uh, when I used to uh, run a user group up there. Peter was the two IC, but now he's uh, he's been running it for a long time now and uh, doing a great job. So I'm looking forward to uh, seeing him up in uh, in Seattle in April. We're going to go to a baseball game together. And- the first day we get I saw there. that. Uh, yeah, in fact, uh, I was thinking uh, we're getting towards time, so we should just sort of summarize where people will come across you or see you or whatever uh, in sure. the upcoming time. The, the MVP Summit, sadly, uh, looking at all the list of things that are going to be on there, I'm, I'm very sad in one yeah. way that I won't be there. It's too it looks bad you completely won't be there. However, for, I'm, the week I'm really looking to conference in Germany as well, so yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. a, a trade off. I, I, I Kind of jealous because my daughter's going to be in Germany. It would give me an excuse to get over there. But uh. <laughs> uh, good. But um, coming up beyond that, um, in fact, I should mention a few spots uh, I've got coming up myself over the next uh, few weeks. I've got a really heavy uh, uh, travel schedule coming up. I've got um, we're going to be in Seattle for the Jumpstart stuff uh, in uh, mid March, and uh, from there I'm sort of heading down to the. Uh, basically the Houston area for um, a little while, so I've, I've got to make uh, contact with the folk down there just in case we want to do any sessions while there, uh, then up to Washington for a little while and then across to London and um, doing a session. Looks at the moment for Tony Rogerson's group on probably the 8th, 8th of April, so if anybody's in the London area and uh, we managed to get that organised, so Tony Rogerson's SQL UK group, it'd be great to see people come along and say hi. Um, and I'm heading from there to, I think, Copenhagen, where there's a SQL Open World, and then down to Madrid uh, for a few days, and then across to Vienna for a little while, and uh, then um, back to London, then back to Tokyo, and then back home. So there's uh, a, a bunch of places, so if you're in, in any of those, uh, and please pop me an email and come and say hi while I'm in town. Um but otherwise, uh, when I get back, we then have another week or two, and then we'll be uh, back over to Orlando. For
for a couple of weeks. So are you there for both weeks? Actually, um, I'm going to be in Orlando twice. I'm going to Orlando the week after the MVP Summit is uh, SQL Connections Conference. Um, I'm yes. speaking at that, um, and that's the week, uh, that's April 20th through 23rd. Um, my three sessions at TechEd are the second week, the IT Pro Week. Um, Pro Week, I'm, yeah. I, I'm hoping that I can get down there for the other, the other week, but I, I'm not sure if I'm going to make it. It, it is. It has been hard for SQL Server folk to decide which of the weeks to go to. There are so many um, good sessions on both weeks. So many good sessions. And uh, having a look at the schedule for both weeks, both look very good. So encourage people. Well, obviously people won't get to go to both, but uh, before just assuming one or the other, I'd encourage them to have a long, hard look at the sessions because both weeks do have some really, really good sessions. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so we'll look forward to seeing you at the latest, by the sound of it, in June. And... Uh, Uh, if not before. And so thank you for your time today, Alan. Great, thank you.